Oh, that was is lovely. It, is it just me, or was there a distinctly summer loving vibe about that Christmas? I was going like. I think you uh, might be right there. All uh, all very fuzzy though, very fuzzy Christmassy festive. Oh, sleigh bells yeah. ring. Thank you, you Tomo. Uh, that was of course the one, the only Tomo Fallows, uh, who sent us in that special Christmassy intro, which is much better than the one we've used on the previous however many Christmas episodes of the show that we've done, where I just li- <laughs> literally slapped some jingle bell effect over the top of the theme tune, and it's completely out of sync, and it's really quite difficult to listen to. And when I did it, when I did it, I, I thought... I not even noticed. <laughs> when I did it, I thought, should I sync that up so it's in rhythm? And then I thought... Now nah, you know what I find it funny. The more the more difficult to listen to it is, I, I find it funny. So oh, well. thank Tomo for having something pleasant yes, to listen to for the first Christmas since uh, 2016 yeah. when we launched this podcast. It's our fourth Christmas together, guys. We are flaunting. Fifth, Alan. We are three households. <laughs> it's together. our fifth one. Our fifth. You do this every time. Oh you yeah, do this every five time. inclusive. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, sorry. Our fifth year together, boys. Uh, uh, together at Christmas, we have three households together here. Well, we, we're allowed three in a bubble. This is our bubble. We're not. We're not <laughs> seeing any relatives or anything like that. <laughs> we're in separate bubbles, uh, in like that John Travolta film. What bu- bubble boy? We communicate. Yeah, and we touch each other with gloved hands, like Michael Jackson. <laughs> gloved <laughs> table. Oh, that's not very festive, Sol. <laughs> It's Christmas. We agreed not to buy presents this year because it's just not been the year for presents. Well, we uh, we don't want to spread the virus by sending a yeah. package, and we don't want to put more money in Jeff Bezos's pocket, which because <laughs> it would all be bought on Amazon. There's nowhere else to buy things, so. <laughs> I think you should make a donation to charities uh, with the money instead. In our name. Yes. I think yeah. No, I was talking to I was talking to you making a donation to charity in my okay. name. Okay, yeah. If if you were thinking about subscribing to the Patreon and then you thought, oh, I should just give a dollar a month to a charity in diminishing returns name, don't don't do that. No, 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 no. Much better to give it straight to us. We'll decide what's best for the money. Yeah. Well, yes, guys, it's our Christmas special, and uh, we wanted to do a special Christmassy film. Mm. So we mm. put it out to our patrons on the Patreon there, patreon.com forward slash dim returns. They got to vote on what we covered. Yeah. I think last year they voted for Home Alone, is that correct? Uh, they did, which I believe is the first... Is that the first year they voted for, or the second? Yes, I think that was the first time we've done okay. it. Okay. And uh, yeah, they've been doing a lot of voting recently. They they voted for last week's episode. You forced them to vote. You got you got you got democracy fever. Yeah, last week they voted for what Pixar movie we cover. Uh, this week they voted for what Christmas film we cover, and they're in the middle of about twenty rounds of voting for <laughs> uh, what we're going to cover on our upcoming two hundred and fiftieth episode spectacular uh, in twenty twenty one. We are going to look mm. at a film that we've covered on the show before. We're going to do a kind of retrospective, reevaluate it, and every film that has ever been covered on the podcast from episodes 1 to 200 is currently duking it out on Patreon <laughs> over the course of about 10 oh, different rounds of voting. So 
and we we have an opt out system. You have to vote. <laughs> uh, you can spoil the ballot. That's fine, but you have to. Vote. Well, everyone's been spoiling the va- uh, spoiling the ballot by voting for James Bond. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, hooray! It's your fault, Calvin. Okay, so what uh, have they voted for for this year's Christmas special, Sol? It was very nearly Gremlins, but sadly for Calvin, (laughs) they did go with Die Hard 2. Yes, Die Hard 2. Now, it's interesting to hear that because uh, as it's our Christmas special, I thought we could do a little special Christmassy special thing uh, in which we explore Calvin's strange christmas customs of watching the same films over and over again <laughs> yeah see you mm. you asked me you asked us both about this very briefly before we started recording and i wanted to yeah. say i'm not going to be any good on this because i i don't watch the same movie every single year so yeah, well, i'm I. just gonna hand this over to calvin i i i did watch die hard every christmas for maybe five years running or so and and i did actually rewatch it this year for prep oh, of course you did well i i, I had my I wanted to rewatch Die Hard 2 because we're doing this podcast and my girlfriend hadn't seen Die Hard and she was like, well, I'll watch it, but I have to see the first one. So she insisted. So there we go. Mm. Yeah, right. To be fair, you should probably did the right thing there because I went into Die Hard 2 with not, see- with not seeing Die Hard in about two years and I was quite lost for some <laughs> bits. So, uh, but we'll get into that, I guess. But you act like I'm some kind of weird anomaly for this, but people do do this. People like to watch Christmassy films in December. Yeah, but it, 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 they like to pick out a Christmas movie from a stack rather than having the same exact ones <laughs> in their calendar on a set date. And I, and I also think people tend to do the whole re-watching, you know, Christmas tradition movies. I think that's more of something you do when you're like 10. And with your family. Well, let's nail this down a bit, Calvin, because you do have set films that you watch every Christmas, right? Yes, there's about uh, five or six, I think, that I do watch religiously. Okay, well, let's we'll pepper them through the episode. Mm. We'll explore oh, okay. this in a bit of depth. Rather than doing it in one big chunk, we'll, we'll spread mm. through. You obviously have some set films. Do you have a set order and set dates and things like that? No, 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 it's not that. Uh, Do you have set customs that go with it? Like, oh, I have to uh, make some eggnog ready for watching. (laughs) I always eat prawn cocktail crisps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have to go buy a Terry's chocolate orange from the supermarket (laughs) so I can have it with uh, my annual viewing of Miracle on 34th Street. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's nothing that... uh, Well, no, actually, there is... Actually, we'll we'll go through it film by film. Uh, the first one I think that's good to talk about, considering what came second in this uh, uh, Patreon poll, uh, Gremlins is one of the ones that I watch mm. religiously every year, which is why I was looking forward to potentially talking about it on this show. And the custom that I have with that is that Gremlins, obviously, you watch before Christmas. And then I tend to watch Gremlins 2 around, like, that period in between Christmas <laughs> and New Year, that kind of nether region where you're a bit drunken, you know, hungover <laughs> at the same time and full of food and all that, and you've got nothing to do. So, Gremlins 2, which I do prefer to the first one. Mm. I think there's a very good chance we'll be doing gremlins next year if patreon decides next year's christmas film it it was such a tight thing between die hard 2 and gremlins this year it's almost inevitable maybe i'll leave gremlins off the ballot next year just to make it interesting and to annoy you calvin no! <laughs> well, maybe we should just do it anyway <laughs> we'll do it in february just to confuse yeah. everyone 
Well, it, people tend to forget that it is a Christmas film, but it is certainly set at Christmas. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's got all, you know, it's got Christmas trees, snow, mm. presents, all that kind of stuff. I, I think it's a great watch. Did Gremlins scare you as a child, Kelvin? I know you're quite a teenage oh, child. Terrified <laughs> me, yes. But speci- specifically a scene in Gremlins 2 where uh, Phoebe Cates is in, like, a, a lift and the Gremlins start, like, pushing through, like, the little hands are coming through, because uh, she's in the lift and they're in the shaft around it. Um, and there is a terrifying... Oh, well, it, when I was a child, it was a terrifying shot of the uh, lift hurtling towards the camera with the gremlins screaming on the front of it, which really <laughs> did traumatise me for a while. And I used to conflate it with that moment in Jurassic Park where Laura Dern, where the raptor comes out from behind Laura Dern. So for years I thought it was Jurassic Park, and then it turns out it wasn't. It was Gremlins 2. Easily mistaken. <laughs> Would you have one of those little uh, Mogwai things as a pet? Yes, because I'd look after it properly. <laughs> I don't think you'd be able to keep it dry. You know, if you, if you have... Well, because all the bottled water I have well, around. <laughs> yeah, all it takes is one spill. All it takes is you leave the window open when it's a really stormy night and a drop of water gets in blown in or water is or, quite um, on this planet you have a really long steamy shower and the the water vapor you know is enough to trigger it or something it, it just seems like an accident mm. waiting to happen to the point that i think i would preemptively get the gremlin wet and then just keep all the horrible ones in a cage like right well at least i know what i'm dealing with now this is the podcast you're uh, missing out on, folks. If we'd have voted for Gremlins, it would have just been an hour of soul complaining about the rules. Yeah, I, look, I, I will say right now, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about Gremlins. I would really like to revisit it because I don't think I really knew what I was getting myself in for when I first watched it. So there you go. That's a big tease for next year when we almost certainly will do Gremlins, but not necessarily, you know. We'll let the people decide. <laughs> Mm, okay, so that is Calvin Recommends Christmas number one, yep. Gremlins. Mm, yes. We'll come back to that. But I think we, we better get on with the film we actually came here to look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, so we covered Die Hard a couple of years ago for Christmas, because it's a Christmas film, as everyone knows. Hmm. Uh, so, Die Hard 2. It was a couple of years later. Uh, John McTiernan was not available. He was doing Hunt for Red October. So they brought in Rennie Harlan, who... Had a brief career in the early 90s. Did you notice any significant difference in the direction? It was less good. A bit more pedestrian. The characters are a bit less uh, interesting, I think. The surrounding characters. It's not bad, but it's just it doesn't feel as... Maybe it's more a product of the script, really. But I somehow it felt like the direction. It just doesn't feel as masterfully structured than the first film. I don't know quite what that is. It's just something about... I guess it's the editing, really, isn't it? It's something about how the scenes are paced and put together. It's just not quite there. But, you know, uh, you you could tell me that this was John McTiernan and I'd believe you. I just think, (laughs) oh, he's, you know, cashing in on the hit of the first one. He's not put as much effort in. It's been so long since I've seen that first... Well, actually, no, it's been two years. But i tell you what about the first (laughs) one that occurred to me coming to the second one. I've seen... 
Die Hard about four or five times over the course of my life, and I can barely remember anything about it. I obviously know Alan Rickman falls to his death. I, I remember the Mr. Takagi, I will count to three bit. <laughs> but I think that's more because of John Sessions' impression of that bit than it is the well, actual this, bit in the film. This is um this is how it feels for me watching James Bond movies, Calvin, because... <laughs> this is what I was thinking watching Die Hard 2. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I was like, I, this must just be how it all feels for Saul, where it all just kind of melds into <laughs> in, 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 into one yeah, thing. Yeah, and more of my memory is based on Austin Powers than the films themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that about this, actually, just on while we were talking about the direction, this is exactly the point I was leading to, because this just feels like, this feels like the Team America parody, sort of, <laughs> this is your very standard American Hollywood action mm. movie blue print yeah. and it just it just does all of that stuff it all those tropes i i really was struck on this viewing i mean i, I think we covered how die hard is known for its sense of humor and its quips and what have you but it really struck me re-watching the first film and then watching the second film like marvel get a lot of shit for the tone they've brought to Hollywood. People put it all on them that every big blockbuster now is a fun action movie and the lead characters just kind of sarcastic and doing one-liners. Mm. And I don't know, that John John McClane's dialogue in these films, it's like, oh, that's like Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, but with fewer 80s references, because I guess it is the 80s. And less, less natural charisma. <laughs> <laughs> Feels much more forced with Bruce Willis. Yeah. Well, I think I think on that note, you I mean, you go back to, well, as far back as you want, really. I mean, even James Bond was that kind of a, you know, sarcastic, smarmy, leading man sort yeah. of going through things. And even in, like, the 30s and stuff, like, a lot of Hitchcock thrillers have that kind of obviously they didn't do that kind of big bombastic action then mm. but you know things like the thin man and stuff it's uh sort of sarcastic wry leading characters going through an adventure it's more clear i think in the second film but it's like every line john mcclain has is a joke pretty much i don't think he has mm. any straightforward dialogue not particularly good jokes like so, some of them are great but there's a bit in the second film in Die Hard 2 when he's uh, struggling to get out of a parachute and he says, uh, is there a door on this thing? <laughs> Are you saying that's one of the funny ones? No, no, I'm saying that's, no, that's, good, that's an example of the terrible you say, have you gone mad? <laughs> <laughs> No, that's an example of how the jokes in this film are not all And really great. obviously ADR'd in later as well. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, there's so much of the, so much of the uh, witty one-liners are delivered while he's got his back turned or he's like busy <laughs> doing something else and you can't see his mouth. Yeah, well, the, part of the success of Die Hard, which was something of an unexpected hit, was Bruce Willis, and he had lived a lot of little throwaway gags and lines in that. Yeah, sitcom and that was Bruce a big Willis. part of its charm and its success. And so when they came to do the sequel, they really said, yeah, go for it, Bruce, we love it. We've, we've put more jokes in the script this time as well, because that's part of what works with it. But the, the problem is, because of all that happened on Die Hard, since then, Bruce Willis has been absolutely convinced that he's funny, and that he's like an improv comedy genius. Has he, though? And I'm not sure that is the case. I don't know if he is, because as Kevin Smith's anecdotes <laughs> will attest, he has a hired writer who follows him around to write his gags for him on set so he he obviously isn't relying on the uh natural wit that he has built in he, he obviously knows that he it would be good if he hired tracy morgan as his writer <laughs> 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 just followed him around everywhere mm. yeah 
the the script for this was based on a novel which was completely unconnected to the Die Hard franchise. It's just an action novel thing. Which is baffling to say that the script is also seemingly based on the movie Die Hard. <laughs> like, they just <laughs> took the screenplay, uh, did find and replace uh, Skyscraper Airport, there's your movie. That's a thing with the Die Hard movies. They're all based on yeah. like a book or an article or some random thing they found. They were like, <laughs> oh, we could put John McClane in that, turn that into Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, do it. Yeah, it is It is a very much a retread of the previous film in terms of basic plotting. It's the most egregious example of a film rehashing the first movie in a sequel I can think of, other than perhaps The Hangover Part 2. <laughs> Where like where it's done to the point that the film has to openly acknowledge every other scene that they're doing the same thing again and the characters are all going like, Whoa, how could this happen again? I can't uh, what are the odds? Shit happened to the same guy twice. And on Christmas Eve as well. Yeah, like, exactly. Was that really an was that really as an integral part of the formula or did they <laughs> think it was that this be because they released it in June, so it's I don't well, know why they felt like it needed to be Christmas. A Christmas film. I don't know why. <laughs> so what is the actual um plot of this one? Sold you know this film very well. Do you want to sort of recap and then we can sort of go through it and talk a bit more about the characters? Yeah, so it's Die Hard was uh, Die Hard in a building. This is Die Hard in an airport. An airport is a building. Oh what? yeah, good point. Well, <laughs> no, it's it's an airport is usually multiple buildings, actually, isn't it? And a big runway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John McClane is gonna fly somewhere. No, no, no. no he's, he's got he's... to pick up the wife. Is he going yes. to pick up the wife? Well, yes. He's so John McClane has gone to pick up the wife. For some reason, they're going to Washington, D.C. for Christmas. So, she's flying in, he's already there. They're, they're in a happy relationship, it seems like, now. So, yes. that kickstart of uh, the big Nagatomi Plaza heist siege a couple of years ago really did save their marriage. Well, yeah, we thought it was a temporary fix, but there you go. Yeah. Yes, he's turned up to pick her up at the airport. He's 45 minutes early for some reason, so he decides to park up right outside the front door and go and get a bagel or something. He's heard about all the difficult airport security, and he's not (laughs) the smartest man in the world, so he thought that (laughs) you had to get there really early to pick people up too. But in in the opening scene, where we establish him, this is a bit of a pet hate of mine, right? Now, you two have both had cars in your lives at some point. I've never owned a car. Why do people seem to get really pissed off when their cars get towed or ticketed because they've parked somewhere illegally? (laughs) Why do people seem to have this kind of like, well, no, I should be able to park wherever I want. I should be able to park in front of an airport where I'm causing a massive blockage. Well, (laughs) I think at airports they do tend to take the piss a bit. It is like you drive within a mile of the airport and you get charged you know, seven pounds. That's to get in, though. That's not... I'm talking about him. He's parked outside the front door of the airport, basically. Probably taxis trying to get past and stuff. Yeah, so and told him. If, if you pull up somewhere and you just run out for, like, two seconds to grab something, and or if you, like, go to the ticket machine and then come back and someone's doing a ticket, then I get it. Yeah. I think I'd well, kick off. But, yeah, I mean, it's I, I've never had an altercation with a ticket inspector. I don't think I've ever had a ticket, so... No, me, me neither. But John McClane, like, despite being a law enforcement... Uh, he's a policeman, isn't he? He yeah. has such a... This anti-authoritarian sort of, like, streak <laughs> through 
through him to sort of... I, I wonder if he just does it to be deliberately provocative just to pick a fight with some other uh, <laughs> law enforcement people because all the way through this film, and I know that they did it in the first film as well, it was one of my issues with that. It's just him getting into situations where he can complain about the man and the bureaucracy and, <laughs> oh man, you should just let me do my thing and it'll all be fine. All this paperwork yeah. and red tape and I, it really bothers me. It bothered me all the way through this. Well, he is like a kind of a, a, a I don't go by the book kind of cop. Uh, he gets the job done. Yeah, they, they, necessary. The, the terrorist in the first one, you know, when he gets him cornered, says something like, you won't hurt me, you are a cop. Oh yeah, my superior officer keeps telling me off for that and like punches the guy or whatever. Kept. Yeah, but it, you know, <laughs> they, they do make a point of it. But yeah, I, I mean, he's in the wrong, but... <laughs> you know he's 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 a he's your everyman working man guy he's annoyed he's got to go pick his wife up from the airport he's your everyman who would definitely find like some young kid who's on drugs and then beat him up to get information out of him because uh, he was witness to a crime <laughs> yeah look i i'm not i don't like, think john mcclain's a great a guy phone book in, in Die Hard 6, they'll probably have scenes where John McClane is at some Blue Lives Matter rally or something, you know. Yeah. He's he's a dick. He's an asshole. But, uh, you know, I think, yeah. I think that is yeah. I think that is integral to the character as he's written, and I think it is... Just your kind of asshole. But I think we're supposed to find it endearing. Yeah, I think it's and to, to an extent it's supposed <laughs> to be... He's supposed to be a bit of a dick. And yeah. you are supposed to find part of it. But that's it. This is our opening scene where we're setting him up. And I think we're supposed to be on his side here. And I definitely wasn't. The fact that he flashed his badge and was like, hey, I'm a cop. Come on, let me off. And the guy didn't let him off. That's like, you know how much of an arsehole you have to be to not get the police to, to let you off when you're already a, a police but officer. I, I, I think you're supposed to be on his side a bit later as well when they ask him to use a fax machine. And he's like, a fax <laughs> machine? What's wrong with a phone call? Or whatever. And it's just, you know, it, it was 1990 and they were making movies for boomers. That's pretty much what it comes down to. You're supposed to be like, yeah, what the fuck's a fax machine? I agree, John McClane. Woo! That was who they were aiming at, you know? He does use the fax machine, though. He manages to use the fax machine by flirting with a young lady in a very weird scene where she goes like, oh, so let's go for a drink. And he's like... Sorry, love. Got the wife coming in. <laughs> it is odd, isn't it? Because I, I, I wondered if that was a part of the Bruce Willis sort of ego coming yeah. in, because by this point he was a movie star. And, and he uh, still had hair, he w- just about. I did wonder if that was kind of like, is this why they've got his wife so separate from him? Is she not young and hot enough? For sort of what they perceive, you know, what the, you know, you know, these kinds of films where they always end up with leading ladies that are thirty years younger than than them, and um, mm. I wondered if this was sort of toying with that idea. Well, there's no romantic interest for him. It's not like they pair him up with a Megan Fox type to run around <laughs> with, and then you know, was she even born when this film was made? Probably not. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, it's it's a good thing that when they turn the TV on on the aeroplane and The Simpsons is playing, um, <laughs> which is, you know, almost certainly just because both properties are owned by 20th Century Fox and they didn't have to clear anything. <laughs> Don't have to pay for anything. Exactly. Um, it's a good thing that John McClane didn't see any of that, because I bet he wouldn't like that. He'd be like, what is this? A, a, a cartoon on primetime? Why are you showing <laughs> shit for kids? He, he'd get. I think he'd get really angry that they'd made a cartoon for grown-ups with yellow. Mm. Why? Why is everyone yellow? What is this shit? 
It's <laughs> a good Bruce Willis impression. <laughs> if this movie was made now, right, it would open with Bruce Willis having to go through airport security to fly somewhere. He would get selected for random security <laughs> like selection, and he would kick off about it because there'd be like a an Asian Muslim-looking person getting through without being selected. <laughs> And he'd be like, why are you randomly selecting me? Look at that, you're just letting him through. <laughs> That'd be the start of the movie. And you'd be expected to be on his side. What, is that uh, making him take his shoes off? <laughs> <laughs> and then someone shoots all the windows out, and he's like, oh, how can the same shoeless shit happen to the same guy twice? <laughs> They start the film, when we actually get into the plot, we start the film with a massive exposition dump by just putting the news on the telly um, and setting up this storyline of a, a drug lord or something who's getting delivered to the airport. Yes. But to try and disguise how obvious this dump is, they try and distract you with William Sadler's arse, uh, which <laughs> is a curious method, but but it Pretty works. effective. I kept looking in the mirror to see if anything you know, slipped through. <laughs> and it did a little bit. Oh yeah, you got a little bit, a little bit. Yep, HD. Alan. <laughs> yes. You and I are both, we're both fans on record as being big fans of, well, <laughs> I, I was going to stop at William Sadler, but yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> we're both on record as, as being very pro-William Sadler after yeah. our Bill and Ted episode recently, mm-hmm. where we thought he stole the movie as, uh, as the Grim Reaper, Death. I mean... I don't. I don't think it's just that he's going up against Hans Gruber here, uh, Alan <laughs> Rickman. Uh, you know, one of the all-time great villains. He is just an incredibly bland, nothing yeah. villain, isn't he? Just there's just nothing mm. about him. I mean, if yeah. if it weren't for that opening shot of him doing naked uh, yoga <laughs> in his room, power yoga, I don't think I'd even remember what he looks like in the film. Mm. Like, I have to cast my mind back to that mental image of his butt crack. <laughs> Well, I wondered if he's just sort of like lead henchman, and we're supposed to think of the uh, the drug lord is is like the main villain, but then he doesn't really have much personality mm. or much to do yeah. either. And we get mm. we get another person introduced later on who sort of ends up being more significant, but don't mm. get much from him either. Mm. More immediate, but he's not there long enough. But yeah, you're right. It's quite a bland, and I I don't know really what more you could do with it, but based on the writing, like there's not much there. Oh, based on the writing, I mean, Die Hard as a franchise really struggles with its villains, I think. The the first Die Hard obviously nailed it. Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman, beautiful. Then this film just dropped the ball completely, to the point that they realised how badly they'd done with the next film, which we'll probably do next Christmas, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, Vote for that on (laughs) Patreon.com. That one doesn't even pretend to be a Christmas film. But of course they bring uh, Jeremy Irons into the mix as the villain in the third one, which is just, just wonderful. Doing a Hans Gruber impression. Yeah, yeah, but it is a, a wonderful idea. But then the fourth film, again, just the most generic villain you could possibly have. And then the fifth film, they try and have a really charismatic villain, but they forgot to cast someone good or write anything for them to do, so it's just <laughs> cringy and awful. Yes, so yes, it is. <laughs> it's it's uh it's something they've obviously been struggling with from the start, I think. But yeah, it's it's just bland. There's nothing particularly bad about it, but it just makes me think this is a hair's breadth away from just being those generic straight to video Jean Claude Van Damme action movies that have, you know, very mm. little to offer. Yes. I guess this has a better budget, uh, which gives it a head start. 
But yeah, you're right. In terms of the writing, there's there's one bit where he gets to do a little voice where he's like pretending to be the air traffic control guy. And he goes, oh, hey, it's Dulles Airport here. Really, yeah. ready to take you in. That is good fun, yeah. It's just a shame, though, because, you know, I know he's not given a lot to work with, but we did Con Air a few weeks back. Imagine if John Malkovich was cast in this role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he'd nail it. I think he'd be fantastic. The, you know, the, the problem is, though, it's not just the actor, it's not just the writing, it's the whole production and, and what's yeah, expected. Yeah. So, you know, William Sadler, he's not he's not an established, really well-known name. He comes in, he does what he's told. Rennie Harlan, this was, you know, he just made Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Like, this was his <laughs> big break, you know? Like, he's going to do what he's told by the studio. Yeah. Bruce Willis is, you know, getting to a point where he knows he's... The star, he can demand whatever he wants. No, no charisma on set, so that I can shine, please. Um, so you yeah. know, I, I I don't know how much you know. I think that's just part of the circumstances, well, isn't it? And it's it's a shame. But there you go. Again, going back to Con Air, I I was really struck by just how many great actors are in this film in like just tiny little bit parts. Well, Colmini speaking. Colmini, exactly, exactly. Colmini has all of two scenes. Does a lovely job with it though. That is a very small role that he he manages to bring as much as you can out of that. Gets a bit of personality into a few lines. But imagine how much better this film would be if you swapped him and William Sadler around. <laughs> Colin Meany has more of a cuddly uncle sort of vibe, though. Yeah, <laughs> but... Than the villain. But you've seen Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. He can do a gun-toting <laughs> madman quite... <laughs> I would have him as the... Cuban drug lord or whatever the guy was. <laughs> Val- Valverdean uh, drug lord. Just while we're on him as well, Colmini, because that uh, appearance really su- took me aback, and it's also in this moment in the, about the middle of the film where he's the pilot mm. of Windsor Air, which is yes. like it's your classic um you have to write an action beat once every 10 pages and they think mm-hmm. like oh shit we've gone like 12 pages we really that's a hell a of an action beat though killing 240 oh, yeah. people that's, well that's this is just what i was go- going to get at because it it is sort of like it it's it is to sort of up the stakes as well it's like the whole villains uh they're, they're you know power down the airport and everything and turn off the landing lights and then they deliberately crash this plane so it's it's to show like oh these guys really do mean business and they're mm. dangerous and all that but the fact that they choose a British plane and the fact that they make the very deliberate decision of having a shot going through the aeroplane itself. Humanising the air stewardess going around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh, don't worry, love. We're At just like British said, Rail. We'll get you there in the end, love. <laughs> you can just you just know that this was written by someone with very limited understanding of English dialect because one of the air hostesses says, hey... And it's like, no one would say, no British person would say, hey, how are you doing? We'll get you there in the end. But it just made me laugh that it's like, it, God forbid, it can't be like, you know, actual American citizens that die. Like That we, is, we don't um, want... that is uh, just to tell you, that's a specific reference to the old British rail ads. Their strap line was, we'll get you there. So huh. that's why she says that. Right. So it might sound a bit unnatural dialogue. So. Just how plump... Oh, oh, well, the accents. I mean, the dialect. <laughs> it was all so clipped and jolly good. I'm late for tea. We've been waiting for this landing light for about bloody well half an hour. It, 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 <laughs> it does really stick out, um, I think, as a relic of pre-consideration for international markets insofar as... <laughs> 
it's really meant to be like, hey, we saved the day and no Amer- no American casualties. Woohoo! Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's a big happy ending at the end. Whereas in reality, it's like, this is a dark day. <laughs> this is a tragic day. Yeah. It was a big If they fight. did it now, it'd be like Emirates Air or Qatar Air or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just it. And then it, it takes like a good long while for the information of this accident to leak. And you think like an explosion of that size, like that's getting out there. There are still people in the airport for about an hour or two afterwards. It is a huge explosion. It is one of the biggest explosions I've ever seen on film. It's, <laughs> it's, it's unfathomably huge, this explosion. It's like something from Independence Day when the aliens are <laughs> firing laser beams across the city. And um, it's the most clear point, I think, where the film veers into self-parody territory because <laughs> they, they make a point of saying how the aeroplanes running on fumes earlier so i you know i i'm not a scientist but i don't think it's accurate that you'd get that much of an explosion out of an airplane flying into the ground on fumes i like they really they really go in for it we have a close-up on colmini as his yeah, face going, lights ah! up with flames yeah they, they don't shy away from the horror it's it's a very odd moment but i will say this my attention was starting to flag and then that happened and it fully got me back on board i was like oh shit What's happening now? Oh my god. I was paying attention, but for not the right reasons. Like, I did just find it so funny how stereotypical these people were on this plane, oh. and just how it is all just sort of, like, just brushed off in the next scene. It's like, ah. Uh, no, well, I, I, I've, just remem- I've just remembered the worst bit is, when it happens, John McClane has been unable to stop it, and so he's very emotionally traumatised by this. He's crying a little bit on the runway. Yeah. Uh, in some classic stare at the sky and shout no acting. And then mm-hmm. he walks up to the wreckage and finds a plastic doll... A child's doll. <laughs> it's the only surviving <laughs> remaining thing intact. Yeah. Mm. It was a different time. Yeah. A simpler time. Uh, speaking of simpler times, let's go back to our Christmas list with Calvin. Ah. <laughs> let's go back to Calvin's <laughs> Calvin's childhood. <laughs> Calvin, what's your what's your most from childhood Christmas? Well hang thing? on though. No. Thinking uh, talking about um incredibly stereotypically like British things. Are there any, you know, almost like a joke to Americans, British Christmas films that you watch every year? Love Actually. Do you you watch one of the old uh, versions of Scrooge or anything like that? Oh, well, I do love the Alistair Sim version of Scrooge, but I don't actually watch that every year. It's quite hard to find in a very decent quality over here, Mm. so... uh... Is that the one where he sounds like Mr. Burns? And I'm convinced that (laughs) Mr. Burns was based on Scrooge, even though I've never seen confirmation or discussion. Yeah, quite possibly. The old 40s one where, where he talks mm. like this. <gasps> yeah. Yes, Alistair Sim. <laughs> Mr. Marley. That, that's it. <laughs> Alistair. <laughs> uh, but but I, I was actually going to bring up, just going back from childhood, the, the one that I've most religiously watched every year the longest is Mickey's Christmas Carol, <laughs> Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol, uh. um, the Disney version of uh, A Christmas Carol. It's about 25 minutes long, so it's like a little feature. I believe it was shown before... Oh god, what's the the one with the mice? The rescuers. Um I think it was shown before Cinderella. <laughs> rescuers um, down under. It, it is a really good sort of Ratatouille tight version of Dumbo. the Christmas Carol <laughs> Zootopia. <story. laughs> it's it, it to the point that I don't think any film ever needs to spend like you know, an hour and a half two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that any other film Fun needs and to... fancy free. 
<laughs> Mickey in the Jeanstalk. No, was it Mickey and what's it called? Mickey in the Beanstalk segment. Jeanstalk. I know. I, I I started saying a Futurama episode by mistake. <laughs> Muscle memory. Sorry, Calvin. Go on. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so, well, uh, I haven't. I don't think I've seen Mickey's Christmas Carol. Is he Bob Cratchit by any chance? I always have it in my mind that this is like a an old classic, you know, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties Disney cartoon that Calvin loves. No, but it's it not. Is it? I was going to say it's quite modern, isn't it? Compared to oh, really? yeah, nineteen eighty three. Yeah, and Mickey Mouse is indeed Bob Cratchit, and uh, Scrooge McDuck in his debut in a Disney project, I believe, is uh, really he's yeah. a Scrooge. I believe so. Yeah, that explains the name. <laughs> yes, doesn't explain why he's Scottish though, does it? McDuck. What do you want? Because <laughs> the Scots are very tight with their money, you know this. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that is the joke. I Even think, Disney knew not to make them Jewish in the 80s. Yeah, um, so Calvin, uh, I didn't say it before because I wanted to fact check first, but I, I was correct in thinking Scrooge McDuck debuted in some comic books oh. that Disney produced in the 40s. So that must have been his screen debut. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What What are the other major characters then? Where How do they slip them in? Uh. Oh well, Donald Duck is uh Scrooge's nephew who comes around to ask him for um. Oh, can can we try and guess who the ghosts are? Yes, you can actually. Well, that's, Sol, that's this good. Is on and, you. I don't know enough. I'm so, and I'm sorry, but yes, Sol, I, I'm I'm completely incorrect. Scrooge McDuck had a voice actor as early as 1960, so I'm completely wrong. He oh, wasn't really? just. Uh, oh. So anyway, yeah. I, I only know that because apparently DuckTales comic books Woo! are inexplicably popular <laughs> in some other country like Denmark or something. They just l- l- can't get enough of it. <laughs> might be Japan, actually. I, I feel like it might be yeah, Japan. There's a lot of things that get big in Japan. That yeah. Good <laughs> um, anyway, um, st- start with Jacob Marley, who's obviously the first one. Oh, I always forget about along. Jacob Marley because he's not like a real, you know, you've got past, present, future, and then Jacob Marley. What's that about? Jacob Marley's quite a, it's quite a dignified figure. Well, so I think, not, so I think gonna we're going to have... Sensible. I, I'm not going to start with that, because I need to do this. At a, I need to start with Disney characters. I think Stinky Pete is going to be one of these ghosts. <laughs> oh, okay. Isn't that a Pixar character? Yes. <laughs> but he's also <laughs> but, uh, Goofy's yes. rival. Is that the thing that might be a dog, it might be a bear? It's one of many yes. things. Yeah. It might be a dog, okay. might be a bear. I reckon okay. Pete is like the ghost of Christmas past, maybe. Oh, no. Do you want to no. have another guess? Okay. Uh, present? He is one of them. He's nope. the ghost of Kelsey Grammer. He can't be, he can't be future. <laughs> I thought Ghost of Christmas Future he would is. just be like the Grim Reaper and wouldn't say anything. Well, it is him with the sort of hood up and you don't know oh, it's right, him. Okay. And then at the very end, he kicks Scrooge in the open grave and lights a cigar. Oh, burn my biscuits. <laughs> so, yeah, Ghost of Christmas Future is Pete. Okay. Now, I think it's going to be largely sort of antagonistic Disney characters, I think. But then they don't really have any of those. Well, the the Ghost of Christmas Past is usually a bit morose. But then the Ghost of Christmas Present is the upbeat one. Mm. Am I right? Are you, so you're going to be is that Goofy? Is, is Goofy turned up yet oh he's one of the ghosts is he jacob marley he is (laughs) Mm. um so you've got to think a bit outside of the box for christmas past and christmas present outside of your main sort of group of mickey mouse's gang and maybe into wider it's it's that bird out of the three caballeros the Uh, green one no (laughs) no that cow that hasn't appeared since the (laughs) black and white ones (laughs) No, it's is, not. Is Horace. Minnie Mouse in this somewhere? She's the wife. She's uh, Mickey's Pratchett's wife. Oh, of course. 
One of those crows off a Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll just tell you. Um, Christmas past is uh, Jiminy Cricket. Oh, yeah, oh, that's pretty close. Have, would never have yeah. guessed that. Yeah. And then Ghost of Christmas Present is Willie the Giant, who is what the fuck? from <laughs> from Fun and Fancy early. Free. I believe so. The the one where they climb from the, Mickey uh, and the, the Beanstalk or something. Now, Calvin, can can I ask you? Because I think Mickey Mouse is a bit like clowns in the no one actually likes them. Yeah. Oh. But I think you do actually like Mickey Mouse, don't you? <laughs> yes, I prefer Donald Duck, but. Uh, Mickey's alright, yeah. What's the appeal? Other than from a graphic design point of view, because I get that, it's a very good logo. He's he's just a happy-go-lucky guy, isn't he? He's always <laughs> going to do the right thing. Is he? Because I know Walt Disney used to draw loads of comic strips about him trying to commit suicide in oh, the, fo- in the 40s. <laughs> a bit of transference there. I, well, no, it was just it was just really common for like cartoon characters to be suicidal and to try and kill themselves in the forties. That was yeah, that was just where time. our sense of humor was as a culture. It was a dark time. <laughs> yeah, it was the Great Depression. You know, it wasn't that great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> should we move on? Right. Should we get back to Die Hard? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, there we go. Stay tuned for the next one. <laughs> right, that that's the segue out of that sequence, you see. Right, so who else is in this? Terminator 2's in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, John yes, Leguizamo's in it. John Leguizamo's in it. Yeah. Yeah. Is he? Very yeah, I I I only realized for the first time this year and I've seen this movie however many times and I only realized oh, I because I was looking him. at the cast list and then I google imaged John Leguizamo <laughs> Die Hard 2 and I was like oh well okay he's one of the terriers who just gets shot quite quickly yeah it's a very young John Leguizamo compared to what we're used to hmm. uh John Amos yes who I am now familiar with having discussed his performance at length with Alan recently in an episode we recorded looking at Coming to America, which has uh, been put on a shelf, probably released exclusively to Patreon for a few months ahead of its uh, proper release at some point next year. So, yeah, he's he's in it. Just a lot of faces like that. <laughs> Just people where you're like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, and then, of course, we have from the first film, the dickhead journalist guy and the wife. Oh, oh and Al. And, and uh, the policeman who yeah, was on the which, walkie-talkie. The I think time. they get Al in quite nicely it's just enough to go hey remember him there's a little lovely cameo. little cameo yeah but without I think it's... make without dragging him into it yeah yeah it, artificially it would have been too much to get him in for more than that and it'd be too much to get argyle involved as well but oh yeah i forgot about argyle. it's just a nice level of cameo. that would have been a great cameo if our, if they'd cut to one of the cockpits of the planes and it was argyle flying the plane <laughs> and he's, he's like <laughs> he's got his feet up on the desk and the it, stereo our, going yeah yeah the, there's no co-pilot it's just a giant teddy bear <laughs> yeah. he's on the intercom just chatting to them. don't know who you're talking about he's uh in he's the, the first limo film, driver he's the limo driver who kind of you forget about for about 40 minutes and then he comes back at the end what was the deal with the guy who's on the plane with his wife because he must have been in the first one i know that they cover it a little bit where she punched he... him or something at the end of the first one but yeah I remember he... the details 
he's this news reporter who does a bit of digging into what's going on. It ultimately culminates with him broadcasting John McClane and Holly Gennaro's kid saying, like, Mommy, please come home on TV. For ratings and viewing figures, it's very unethical how he gets that. And ultimately it leads to Alan Rickman realising that she is the wife of John McClane, as opposed to just some... Leverage. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it it felt kind of unnecessary to bring him back, but... He's good, though. He's a good actor, and he plays that shithead, dickless character quite well. I think he does a lovely job in here, and it all works as well. Considering you've brought him back, and it's quite contrived that he's on the same plane and all that... But it yeah. all works. He he manages to achieve the same thing. They then bring in this other journalist character that's kind of supposed to be doing that, and that she never really pays off in any yeah. great way. I liked him in this. Mm. So what what's the plot? A load of terrorists take over the airport. They set up a kind of fake airport broadcasting beacon. Yeah, I mean they essentially they're taking all the planes hostage and everyone on them. Yeah, they like do what we want, or we're going to start crushing planes. Because no one on the aeroplanes realises that the broadcast signals they're receiving is coming from these terrorists rather than the actual tower. And they blow up a load of stuff and punch each other and drive around on uh, snowmobiles. Yes, mm. bulletproof snowmobiles sometimes. Mm. And and I think that was the point where I really started thinking about James Bond and, and how weird it is that I... <laughs> I do get a kind of base enjoyment of this movie on just a kind of like, oh, it's dumb action, enjoyable, and I just don't get any of that from James Bond whatsoever, and I don't understand what the difference is. <laughs> no, I know, I, I, I had the same thing, feeling, but the opposite way around while watching this. I was like, this is just, I'm just never going to understand this, I guess, and I don't know if it's like an aesthetic thing, like, obviously this is a very mm. Hollywood sort of action thing, whereas... Bond films are obviously primarily made in Britain, and there there is just a different quality to the filmmaking. How they're put together, I don't I don't know what it is quantifiably, but yeah. I don't know if it is that or or just what it is. Maybe I just didn't see these films at a, you know a point in my adolescence where they would have meant something or you know mm. whatever. Yeah, I I think I first saw Die Hard when I was probably seventeen. Oh, okay, then probably about the same as me then, really. Yeah, it was quite late, really, in my film development, but I guess I was still mm. young enough to be, you know, a teenage boy. You'd be like, yeah, Die Hard, yeah. I I also came to Die Hard, really, as a thing. Well, you didn't have to share that, but thanks. <laughs> I'm sure it was good. <laughs> uh, no, I, I came to it via Die Hard 4, which... <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the gateway Die Hard. Well, honestly, I think that was the first one that I saw. Die Hard 4 got really positive reviews when it came out, Mm. if you can believe that. But it was like, this is a ridiculously stupid, dumb, fun action movie. And so I always went into Die Hard as a franchise thinking like, yeah, it's dumb, silly, nonsense fun. And I think the first Die Hard's actually a really great film uh, beyond that. But I think it's important to note my, my kind of expectations for this franchise was set at silly dumb nonsense and i i do get that out of this second one i think it does deliver on that kind of base level enjoyment it's just the action scenes i think it's just the actions shot and choreographed well enough to keep me engaged even though there's not a lot going on in the the plot and the writing in the first, the first sort of major actiony bit is when he follows a couple of dodgy-looking geezers uh, who have gone into the back area of the airport, and he realizes something's going on, and he has a gunfight with them. And there's a bit in that where 
he kills the bad guy by throwing him on the conveyor belts and he goes through what I can only describe as a suitcase mangle, which apparently <laughs> this is something airports have. It's like a giant mangle that they squish the suitcases with that's powerful enough to kill a man. I, I don't think that's real. Oh, um, <laughs> I, uh, I I was wondering, actually, has there been a movie that has faithfully recreated what it's actually like, you know, in the baggage bit behind the thing? Because in movies like this, Toy Story 2 springs to mind as well. I've just, I don't know if I've ever seen what it's actually like where the bags go. It's just a maze of conveyor belts. It's, a, it's pipes with steam coming out of them and big, big, <laughs> uh, Olympus just big chur- churning stuff. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think the problem is they're not particularly interesting. It's probably but never any staff. There's never any people there. Yeah. It, <laughs> if you if you my guess is that the actual thing is like basically a room with probably a wall missing, maybe just a big door, and they probably just drive in the bags and put them on the conveyor belt, and yeah. then the conveyor belt. It's goes just the other end of the, the conveyor other, belt to the That's other room. <laughs> it's a circle, <laughs> and I imagine it's literally <laughs> one conveyor belt. There's no sorting involved. Mm. Well, that's less exciting than what we see in the films. I don't know. I'm trying to think. There's not. There's not a huge amount of films I've seen set in airports, and I don't think Tom Hanks sneaks. You know, behind <laughs> <laughs> like security. Um, locked areas in the terminal okay best airport films come on what can we do uh airplane that's not an airport film uh, it was no. loads of it is in the air- airport <laughs> what in the so in outraged yeah it's like five minutes at the start no they're talking to them on the plane they're like talking them down he's like oh yeah there is air traffic control breaking bad it's not a film breaking bad is set in an airport well as much as airplane is <laughs> There's airplane a scene is in the very flight. heavily set in an airport. <laughs> There's a scene a in a flight control room with John Delancey. <laughs> um. Oh, oh, oh. Pushing Tin. What? Pushing Tin. What? Pushing Tin. Billy Bob Thornton and I believe John Cusack, and they're both air traffic control guys, but they're really competitive. Oh, they, they push Tim out of an airplane. Tin. Pushing Tin. It's a euphemism <laughs> for moving airplanes around. It's, it sounds like a euphemism for having a shit. <laughs> That's pushing it out. Where where have you been for twenty minutes? Oh, sorry, mate. I was just really pushing tin. Ah, oh, say no more. <laughs> I thought you said Tim as well. Pushing. <laughs> oh. Well, there's there's uh, the the sequel to Quarantine, which was the American remake of Wreck, is set in an airport, but it's not very good. <laughs> I think one of the Resident Evil uh, CG films is set in a Oh, it is, it is. Yeah, you're right. Can't remember uh, which one, but... Yeah, is, me neither. Yeah. Calvin, is there an official answer to um, how many airports has James Bond been in, in films? Oh, there must be well, some, I don't know, actually. I was thinking, I mean, he, you do see him in an airport yeah. in very many of the films, uh, probably more than half of them. How many puns does he get in, where they're like, do you, do you have anything to declare? I'm sure he has something to say to that. Like, um, it, it'll be a woman asking him called Claire. Uh, no, sh- she'll she'll be called. It's not that clever, Alan. She'll be called like Susie Big Knockers, and then, and then she'll say, "Do you have any, do you have anything to declare?" And he'll say, "Juicy melons. only, only that those knockers are massive." And like, I have to declare, you've got a beautiful pair of bristles. <laughs> God. <laughs> and then he slaps her. 
She falls in love. Oh dear. <laughs> On that note, actually, it's very sad, but um, of course, Japanese Bond died earlier oh, yes. this year. So um, I, I've had to pick up the mantle of our, our little Patreon shoutouts uh, for this Christmas special. Okay. Oh really? Uh, is is Japanese Bond? He's dead. He died, Calvin. He's it was on the news. Didn't oh you? right. Oh okay. It was a national tragedy in Japan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, so I I suppose then Sol will have some sort of special Christmas guest, Christmas themed guest. Ding dong. I don't. We should put you on the spot. Let <laughs> 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 me just answer this door. Hang on a sec. Let me just answer this door slowly to buy you some time. There's, there's no, there's no one, there's no one there, Alan. Oh no! Check the oh, chimney. Oh no! Look, look down the chimney. What's, <laughs> who's that? Oh no! It's a dead father. Ho ho ho! <laughs> oh no! What is that? You Japanese Bond? It's Japanese Hello, lads. I've been reincarnated as Saint Nicholas. <laughs> oh god! Oh. It's Japanese Saint Nick. Uh, <laughs> hello. How are you doing? It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Don't think about it too much, lads. It's, it's a Christmas miracle. I can't help noticing, Japanese uh, Santa, that you are stuck up the chimney, upside down, with your head just popping out so you can talk <laughs> to us <laughs> through the grate. Hey, just shove one of those mince pies over there. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we have had the fire lit for some time now. That must be quite painful. It's, uh, it's keeping me a very comfortable 94.6 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit, which, <laughs> which is the correct temperature to keep things, as we all know. Okay, uh, Japanese Santa, have you brought us Christmas gifts? I've, I've brought a, a, a gift of a naughty, a naughty but nice list. Oh, a list of nice, nice lads here for you to uh, get a shout out. These are your latest Patreon subscribers. Oh, so uh, the big, big thanks to uh, every one of these lads here. We got uh, Paul Cunningham. Paul Cunningham, thank mm. you. Uh, happy Christmas, yeah. Paul. Welcome to the yeah. Patreon. Paul uh, Christmas Ham. That's what I call him. Christmas yeah. Ham. <laughs> Do you have ham at Christmas? Cunningham. Christmas oh, Ham. Oh. Um. No. Yeah. Boxing Day ham. You, you, have a, you have a ham on Boxing Day with your trimmings, yeah. your leftovers. Christmas ham. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a Japanese thing, Calvin, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they all have KFC. Uh, who's next then? Uh, we got a Justin, Justin Emerson Richards. Justin Emerson Richards. Triple barrel. That's nice. Yeah, thank, thank thanks, you, Justin. Justin. Thank you for joining the Patreon. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yes, happy, happy New Year. We got two lads here. We've only got a first name for them, so we got Mark and we got uh, Lewis. Ooh, the mm. enigmatic. Well, Shall we just call him Mark Lewis and pretend it's one person? Yes, <laughs> that works for me. Hello, welcome, Mark Lewis. But let's hedge our bets in case you say Mark Louis, just in case he's French or something. <laughs> Louis, or Louis Mark. And uh, I got another one of these triple barrelers for oh, you. Like, do you know that the only people who go by three names like that are serial killers or people who assassinate <laughs> presidents? You know, <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, you're right. There is a correlation, actually. <laughs> John Wilkes Booth. Undeniable. It's a good thing we've got these guys on a list, then, isn't it? <laughs> we'll keep an eye on them. Who's who's next there? Japanese Bond, Santa Bond. Uh, last year here we got Philip. Philip Norton Smith. Norton Smith. Norton. Norton, as in Noel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can't tell if you're doing a painful Christmas pun or if it's actually a name. Anyway, welcome. 
<laughs> Thank you for joining the Patreon. Thanks for yeah, supporting th- the thanks show. Thanks for it. One dollar a month to support us <laughs> on patreon.com forward slash Doom Returns. And for that, we make you this promise to never put any Japanese Bond content on the Patreon. <laughs> we will, <laughs> you will be spared that. <laughs> Actually, I can't make that pro. I don't want to make promises. I can't keep. I don't think Japanese Bond has ever appeared on the Patreon stuff. Actually, so. no. He just he just moderates it. Yeah, oversees it. Well, thanks, Japanese Bond. It's good. Nice to know you've been reincarnated as uh, Father Japanese Christmas. Anyway, Santa. it's really good to see you again. I guess we'll. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll see you next year, next Christmas, and not before. Hey, depends. I mean, depends. You, you guys, you've uh, you've had a big swelling of uh, subscribers the last what? couple Sorry? of days. <laughs> a big swelling swelling okay. swelling <laughs> okay i think they all shined up to listen to borat too lads that makes sense oh yeah that that does make sense we we did just put up a uh a full-length borat 2 uh episode of the show we, we've got a few exclusive podcast episodes up on there along with all the diminisodes so uh yeah we're gonna yeah. have a flood of people after the sponge on the run yeah spongebob three yeah. yeah so yeah head over there patreon.com forward slash dim returns and one dollar a month will get you all this except i don't think it is a dollar a month i i think patreon have um messed around with it and now it might be a pound a month or something i don't know it's 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 a nominal fee it's not much though is it let's face it i mean depending on where we're at internationally a pound might work out cheaper than a dollar just send two pounds just to make sure <laughs> you can you can send us though as much as you want, you know. Yeah, huge huge thank you to everyone who, who yeah, has thank you very much. And donated. Hmm. Yes, that money goes straight into Calvin's pocket. It's the only way we can get him on episode now. <laughs> he's become very he's become very uh, miserly, but we're hoping that it will be a Christmas miracle. He's going to be visited <laughs> by the ghost of Alistair Sim and mm. the ghost <laughs> of Bill Murray. <laughs> On that note, Calvin, what is your next uh, Christmas pick? Oh, oh, we're going into <laughs> right. We're taking Why a bit do you of keep a, doing uh, the music jar? from that uh, Nat West advert. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're going a bit darker this Ooh. time with Black Christmas, uh, a film Black that we Christmas. covered. Y- darker yes, than Gremlins. Yes. There we go. Black Christmas is definitely darker than Gremlins. Really? There's a there's a whole scene about a man getting trapped in a chimney and slowly dying to death and <laughs> yeah. his family dying only... to death. And Black Christmas has a scene where <laughs> Black Christmas has a scene where a man gets shot in the buttocks and it's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty good. <laughs> yes, Black Christmas. We've covered it on this podcast before. Alan experienced it yeah. for the first time next to me, oh, which it. was a really fun. So let's experience. not waste any more time on Black Christmas. Just go listen to that episode. Right, moving <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, we've Die covered Hard. It. We've covered it in great detail. Yeah. <laughs> right, Die Hard Two. I I've kind of said all my stuff about Die Hard Two. Really, I. I, I do find it very watchable and enjoyable. I think there's just something about the kind of light-hearted, quippy nature of it that works for me, even if the gags are a bit weak at times. Some of them are good. I know what you mean. I tell you what, though, there is a line I'd like to quote to you. I want you to explain this to me. It's a very Bruce Willis <laughs> kind of line. It is delivered by John McClane. It's when he's arguing with the chief of police. He storms out and then he turns around and goes, You're the, more like the chief of assholes. <laughs> it's not even as good as that. He says, What sets off the metal detectors first? The lead in your ass or the shit in your brains? <laughs> Could you possibly explain that to me? How that? Um, what, what level is that supposed to be working on? I think if you eat too much fish... 
Um, <laughs> can't you get a lot of mercury, mercury. In your, <laughs> mercury in your stool? Could that set off a metal detector? Too much. But why would it be in his brain? <laughs> well, obviously he's saying shit for brains, but shit is not metallic, so it doesn't work. <laughs> and the lead in your ass, I guess, is because he's riding the desk, he's saying, or whatever. So... It just doesn't make any sense, but it's delivered with such a kind of like burn. I've and now I swim walk out of the door. I've won the day, but hmm. I, I just think it would have been a lot better if the director had the courage to then cut to a close up of the chief of police going, <laughs> "Wait a minute, what? Shit! Fuck, that doesn't make any sense." John McClane's a fucking idiot. That would have been that would have been magic. I re- I must say I really like that policeman character as well. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure what the actor's name is, but he might be my favourite performance in Dennis the film. Franz is his name. He's in Psycho 2. Is he really? Yes, he's the guy who's running the motel when Norman uh, comes back. Hmm. Huh. Um, just speaking of actors again, um, Fred Thompson, who is like the, the chief of the airport, the big tall man, mm. stern looking man. Do you know about him, his sort of story? No. Mm-hmm. He was a lawyer, like, for years, and was a lobbyist in Washington or whatever, and so obviously got pally in the world of politics. Just started doing some acting here and there, as you do. Became, like, a quite successful actor. And then in 1994, he became a senator. Uh-huh. And he was just a senator for a bit. And then, and then he even, he put himself up as for the US presidency, but didn't get didn't get picked by the Republican Party, obviously. Who did he lose out to? Uh, John McCain. Ah. Uh. Hmm. But yeah, apparently he, when Al Gore became vice president and he had to take up that position, that means he had to give up his seat in the Senate. And so there was a a spare seat and they had a vote and this guy took Al Gore's seat in the Senate, even though he was a Republican. So obviously they they overturned that. But yeah, it just seems like a weird career arc. Interesting. Should we talk about the very ending? Because uh, John, of course, saves the day. There's another massive uh, aeroplane explosion. And I don't yeah. know how big the runway is. I was actually, to give this film a compliment, I thought some of the stuff was really impressive. There's like a scene at the very end where a plane is coming in to land and it's like mm. going past some smoke and you can see the smoke swirling. And yeah. Bruce Willis or a stunt double is like in the left of the frame running and it looks like the plane is really coming in and it yeah, kind of looks knocks really him cool, back onto the floor. I think that's probably real. It's probably a bit of a yeah. forced perspective in that it's nowhere near yeah. as close to him as you think but mm. it still looks really cool and yeah that smoke yeah, swirl yeah, yeah. really really pay- really sells it yeah no it's fantastic i thought that was fantastic but then i thought like the whole just the the landing strip uh the runway where a lot of the film is set i mean i i do kind of like how kind of endless it seems it's mm-hmm. like you can just like see off into the distance so far but at the same time all these planes keep exploding on it and landing and i was like how big is this thing <laughs> i guess it would be big it's dc i think the action is largely done really well here like a said and i Mm. think that's a big part of why this film works for me it's done well enough to just kind of keep me engaging as silly uh engaged as silly and stupid as it is i like the big fight they have on the airplane wing i like the bit where john mcclain stabs a guy with an icicle (laughs) oh yeah it's brutal it just stabs him right through the eye it is quite i was gonna say that that's that's the kind of thing you'd get in a james bond movie except it is just more brutal. I don't think James Bond would ever. He's never stabbed someone. Be in the quite eye. so. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, there's a whole bit where he discovers the the army guys are actually on the other side. They've been firing blanks, mm. and uh, he demonstrates this by shooting a machine gun at the chief of police <laughs> in the middle of a police station. 
<laughs> surrounded by police officers. <laughs> and they all draw their guns, but none of them shoot him, fortunately. They all go, oh, hang on. Yeah. There's something's not right here. There's a blanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... I, I don't think that airport runways have massive lengths of tunnels underneath them, um, <laughs> because I think that's structurally unsound. And I especially don't think they have a grate that goes up into the middle of the runway, where planes will go over it, and it would obviously just <laughs> smash through <laughs> within days of being run over. Um, but I guess mm. that's not exciting enough. Reality isn't exciting, is it? Yeah. So yeah, they, they have the fight on the wing. Then he opens the fuel tank or whatever, and he blows it up with a cigarette. Now, we all know mm. that that is physically <laughs> possible, no matter what <laughs> Mythbusters or whatever says. Uh, that's quite convenient. They kill everyone in one fell swoop. It feels like a bit of a like sudden end, because you've got like, all the bad guys mm. at once. It's a pretty spectacular way of doing it, though. So I'll That is a massive this. explosion. Yeah, I'll forgive all the issues <laughs> with it, just because it's so visually cool. Not just the explosion, but seeing the the little you know trail of uh, fuel zip along as it gets lit up. Yeah, and... it's when the plane has taken off and it just mm. shoots that little bit up because obviously the the flame yeah. the fuel still trickling out. It was really mm. cool, but I agree. It feels like you know there should have been like maybe one more showdown in it or something like that. It is it feels odd that everyone just gets killed mm. altogether. But you're right, the the main villain, like why they're all there, the drug dealer guy, we never get anything from him. We never really Fidel Castro. We're not we're not um hmm. we don't get emotionally sort of attached to any of that, do we? It's, it's all kind of incidental. He's a MacGuffin, really. Hmm. I think they make up the country that he's from as well, don't they? It's the same made up country from Commando. Oh. Is it? Hmm. Valverde, I think it is. I know something we haven't mentioned, a big a big stunt scene. It's 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 a it's a thing that it sounds really good on paper, but doesn't really work. So John McClane is in the plane. They all throw a load mm. of grenades at him, and they're the longest lasting grenades ever. Uh, so he <laughs> spends 30 seconds strapping himself into the ejector seat and ejects himself oh, out God. with a huge explosion behind him. And like I say, on paper, that sounds great. That's a really cool, neat idea. But it's badly <laughs> done. Mostly because the, the, it's the just... worst thing, <laughs> no, the, the worst part of it is that he shoots directly up in the air towards camera, but then so he doesn't just fall back <laughs> down into a load of flaming wreckage, he kind of inexplicably veers off to the right and then falls <laughs> down. He pulls the parachute, like... catches a bit of a draft. It's... <laughs> Uh, I mean, again, it's very James Bond. I think James Bond's done similar things where he's like headbutted the ejector seat while <laughs> trying to escape yeah. an <laughs> explosion. Um, but James but Bond it's, wouldn't it's... go like, oh shit, as, yeah. as, as it's happening. Well, this, uh, is, this is it. This is far more cartoony just in how it's realised. Yeah, done. that's the problem I, is how it's actually yeah, done it, and slightly crappy. I don't mind it. Effects, 1990s yeah, style, it, it's... It's all right. I, I, it could have been done a lot better, but I don't dislike it. Well, that's the whole film, isn't it? Really, it could have been done a lot better. Yeah. Um. One, one last thing. Uh, I think there's a, a sort of shocking lack of Bonnie Bedelia in this. I think she was one of the highlights of Die Hard, one of the unsung highlights of Die Hard, and she doesn't get to be the sort of spunky woman that she was uh, in this. She's just sort of a bit of a bit of an annoyance for William Atherton. Hmm. on the plane mm. I, mean, I never really get that attached to that and and like even when we we're talking in terms of like he knows his wife's on one of the planes so like that makes it personal for him that never really comes across either it's just like he's just trying to save the day and he like the fact that she's there is largely irrelevant 
Until at the end where he's just got walking around going, Hello! Hello! <laughs> oh, I did hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I've just thought, she called Holly because it's set at Christmas. <laughs> I do completely agree that it feels quite arbitrary that she's there. He'd still be saving the day anyway. I guess it does give that extra level of personal stakes into things, mm. which is always good. But like, yeah, I agree. Other than just sort of like, you know, she sat next to a sassy old lady. Uh, she doesn't have much else to do. She's also the reason he's at the airport. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose they could have just done it that he's flying to LA for Christmas yeah, from New so. York mm. to see. Maybe to see his maybe family. he's he's been uh, like demoted because he's such a terrible police officer and they've put him on the airport cop duty as a punishment. <laughs> he's like he's it's killing him, like walking around. When you get to your destination, take your shoes off. Make and sure make you balls with you your paid, feet on the carpet. You pay the duty on that bottle of vodka. <laughs> Someone's stolen a giant Toblerone. We need backup. Put the chocolate down, asshole. That would be good, though, wouldn't it? John McClane, like in a shitty little job, and he's but he still takes it so seriously. It's like hot fuzz. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I wish they, I wish they did more comedy. To be honest, like I'm all good with him, you know, doing the ejector seat into the camera and stuff. If they sort of went a bit more tonally that way for the rest of it, but they do try to do this sort of serious terrorist plot and stuff and killing a little plane full of uh, British people and all that. It just didn't quite gel. Calvin wants him to do the ejector seat, then say, "No, that's what I call a hot seat," and like <laughs> wink to camera. Mm. But no, I agree. I think there's a balance that they could strike. Because, you know, I, I think the reason Die Hard, the first one, works so well is that it, it works so well as a film without the humour, and then the humour just kind of elevates it. So it, you, you're not relying on the humour to carry it through. Mm. I don't know. Calvin, uh, do you want to give us your next Christmas movie before we move into our final <laughs> thoughts? Yes, well, next up is another one that we've covered on this podcast. Uh, it's A Wonderful Life which I don't think you can pick holes in at all. I think that is a very solid choice. I think I did choice. pick a load of holes in it, didn't I? Wasn't that the theme <laughs> of our like, episode? You wrote an article <laughs> where you picked five specific holes. <laughs> yeah, we did. We covered that Christmas, what, first year we did it? First ever oh, Christmas special that we did, yeah. Mm, yeah, go back yeah. and check that out. We, we had a good old discussion about that one. Uh, it's in the archives. Yeah. No, it's not until talking about this, actually, that I realised, oh, we've covered a good deal of the... And one day, I'm sure, we'll get to Gremlins, and then that's sort of my Christmassy... Oh, and Nightmare Before Christmas as well, that's another one. Mm. But those those are sort of my main Christmas films, uh, highly recommended to all... Oh, is that the full list there? Well, yeah, I've not got all the time oh, okay. in the world. <laughs> oh, okay, no, I, just, I lost track, that's all. There's only about five. What's the most recent Christmas film, as in most recently released... That really made you go, ooh, this is a good Christmas film. Uh, as in me personally, or yeah. just the world? You. Santa Buddies? Uh, no, uh, Bla- the Black Christmas remake, uh, 2006. I thought you didn't like that. Was that was shit, one. wasn't it? Um, I, 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 no, I, I watched it, I rewatched it last Christmas, and it is gratuitous and very silly and stupid and uh, very needlessly cruel, but uh, <laughs> I do watch it every year for some reason. Actually, maybe I don't like it. I've, I feel like the most modern Christmas film that's made any real imprint on people as as a whole is probably Elf. Mm. Oh, yes. But I don't know, for for me on a personal level, uh, uh, the most recent one that I particularly like is probably um, 
probably a good 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Might be Home Alone or something. I don't, I really don't know. <laughs> Jumping into ratings for Die Hard 2. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go. And remi- remind us what you gave Die Hard the first one for comparison before you do it. Okay. Well, I gave the first one a 9. Very, very good film. And with this one, Ooh. I'm giving it a 7. To be honest, I think that's quite generous. I think it's definitely mm. on the lower end of 7. So, whatever that's worth. Um, I I think there are some brilliant explosions in it. I, I won't go as far as to say that the action's good, but I think that some of the aeroplane effect shots and all that kind of stuff and the explosions are all really good. But otherwise, I think it's pretty, it's just very standard by the numbers. You could just know what's going to happen. I think Bruce Willis is fine, but the villains are interesting and it's just generally very predictable. Um, so it's a five from me, but I have no idea what I gave the first one. <laughs> I think you only gave it like a six or something. But I'm gonna, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, let me find that. Uh, here we are. Die Hard. Calvin, you gave the first Die Hard a seven, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, well, this is interesting because we've all gone exactly two points down from our initial rating <laughs> mm. of Die Hard. Uh, Alan's gone from a nine with the first Die Hard to a seven for Die Hard 2. Calvin, you've gone from a seven to a five. Um, I gave Die Hard a 10 out of 10. I think it's a, a really fantastic, phenomenal film. Um, pretty close to perfect, honestly. Die Hard 2, I will acknowledge I'm being incredibly generous with this, but I, I just find it very enjoyable and silly. And I kind of figured that, you know, I needed to um, fly the flag for it because I didn't <laughs> think you guys would be as positive. So I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. <laughs> so yeah, we all agree that Die Hard 2 is two points down from Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Die Hard minus two. Exactly. <laughs> good. Yeah, very good. Well, chaps, I've done a little quiz for you, a little Christmas-themed quiz. Oh, yay! Hooray! So this is a-, a game that I have invented and created. It's called Rockbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, except with films, <laughs> so we should call it blockbusters. That would be better. That would be yeah, better, no. that would be better. Would be better. Uh, so I know I know Saul will be familiar with this. Are you familiar with this, Calvin? No. Okay, so basically the game is I've picked um, films, film titles. Okay. And then I'm going to give you a sort of very crap cryptic clue. <laughs> a craptic clue. A craptic clue. Yeah. Yes. Towards okay. what that is. And hopefully you'll be able to get it. Are you going to deliver it in a kind of uninterested mank accent? (laughs) No, No, I don't think so. So, um, just to let you know, they're all Christmas films. In fact, Mm -hmm. some of them we have mentioned already on this very episode. Look, basically, Calvin, because I'm sure you have no idea what Alan's doing, he's ripping off uh, (laughs) a bit that Carl Pilkington used to do on the Ricky Gervais show. Okay. Where he would try and do cryptic clues, but the joke was they were just terrible and Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant would get really pissed off with him. And a good example, Mm. an example of one of the better ones was something like, there's a man walking around in America and uh, he got annoyed because he stepped in a puddle. Uh, mm. what band or artist is that? And then he'd give the initials. I don't know if you're going to be doing that, Alan. Uh, I, I will if you're struggling. <laughs> okay, so the initials for that were WH, and the answer was Whitney Houston. Uh, or, as Carl Pilkington said, Wet Knee Houston. 
Oh god. Me in Houston, Oof. Texas, you see. So so that is the sort of shit we're dealing with now. <laughs> oh uh, dear. Oh okay. Uh, what what did the uh what did the Jamaican man say on the Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> C D Christaberg. Christ de Berg. <laughs> oh god. And I, oh, I have okay. got one here that is going to depend on accent as well. So uh, Oh brilliant, brilliant. It's not a real rock it's not a real rockbuster if it doesn't rely heavily on an accent. <laughs> okay, so hopefully that all makes sense. It'll make sense after I've right. had a couple. Um yeah. some of these are better than others. Okay, so here's your first one. So it's a Christmas film. The clue is <clears throat> borrow some money off that gay fella. Borrow some money. Is this for both of us? Can we both answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go for it. Okay. Borrow some money. Yeah. What is what? If you borrow some money, what's that? What do you call a gay fella? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at the use of fella. <laughs> Very authentic. <laughs> Very authentic rockbuster. This is great. Uh, okay. I'll give you the initials of the film. Get ready. I think it'll be fairly obvious. So, okay. borrow some money off that gay fella. H A. Right. Well, it's Home Alone, but oh, Homo. Oh. <laughs> home Alone, right? Home okay. Alone. Yeah, that's Home Alone. Ooh, oh, so I hope you see Calvin. That it's 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 quite a stretch sometimes. I think I think I've I think I've got it just about. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. I've got a few more. All right. It's one to me. Okay, so this is uh, <laughs> this is a tough one. The clue is he's got talons coming out the top of his face. He's got talons coming out the top of his face. And the initials are FC. FC. It's a Christmas film. Is it Fred Claus? It's Forehead Claus. Is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fred for, Claus. Fred Claus. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next one. I think Saul has an advantage here. He's more experienced. I'm just, I'm just going off the initials. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this you're gonna get this one. This is the best one. The Queen of Our Hearts gets me well horny. The Queen of Our Hearts gets me well horny. Randy. Well, who's the who's the Queen of Our Hearts? Diana. Oh, Princess Diana, Randy. <laughs> that well known film. Diana oh. Sexy Diana. Die Die Hard. <laughs> Die Hard well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh god. Uh, of course, Princess Die. Oh. <laughs> okay, this one I think this one's fairly straightforward, but I don't think you'll get it until I give you the letters. <laughs> Okay, let's go. Here. There's nothing kind of too terrible about this one. No, actually, it's pretty okay. Terrible. Okay, <laughs> an alcoholic drink and a bird make it to the end. An alcoholic drink and a bird make it to the end. Whistle down the wind, <laughs> because no. down down the wine. Whistle like a bird would whistle down the wine. <laughs> the initials are. J A T W. J A T W. Jack and the. <laughs> Jack and the whale. Jack and the. 
What's the clue again? Give us the clue again. So, an alcoholic drink and a bird. Make it to the end. It's not something Jack Frost? No. Uh... Right, so it's it's going to be Jack. It's definitely Jack, because Jack Daniels. Okay, it's not Jack, I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay. Oh. Oh, so the first word is a drink and a bird. Yeah, those two things combined in one so word. So it's going to be... So it's gonna begin, all right, so it begins with J, and it's like parrot gin or something. Gin parrot. <laughs> gin robin. G- g- gin. It's Christmas. Jingle. <laughs> jingle all the way. That is correct. How do, I don't get it, but... <laughs> g- gin. Gin. Gull. Gull is a bird, yes. All the way, okay. They make it to Ooh. the end. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> they wear you down pretty quickly. <laughs> I to understand why Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant got so annoyed with them. Okay. Did, did you make these up, Alan? Yes. That's pretty good. But though. on the basis of using Carl Pilkington's method, I don't want to claim. Yeah, but uh, even then, that's but, still uh, pretty pretty good. This is the standard in my normal work. Uh, okay. <laughs> Next one. I've got two more. So this one is: you can swap those fish for something else. Trading places. <laughs> it's trading places, Alden. Oh my god! <laughs> is, is that a, is that a Christmas movie? Yeah, I don't remember. Dan Aykroyd is dressed up as a Santa. I don't remember. A homeless Santa. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with Eddie Murphy in it? <laughs> yes. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Oh, trading places. That's pretty good, actually. Sol, <laughs> that you got that. <laughs> That's good. Uh, okay, so the last one. You remember? You got. You need to. You need to you, think of the accent on this. Okay. That Cockney bloke is perfectly well. <laughs> was, right. was, was there an accent on that? It's, so it's, it's going to be like all right. It's got to be something with a Cockney accent. It only works if you do it with a Cockney accent, and it doesn't even work well, then. Can, but you know, <laughs> could you do it with a Cockney accent? No, not the answer needs a Cockney accent. Oh, what was the clue again? This Cockney bloke. It's perfectly well. This Cockney He's bloke. not ill at all. Perfect. The initial is E. <laughs> e. A Christmas what? film starting with E. Well, it's got to be Elf. Elf. <laughs> oh. Like, like, is it Health? Yeah, yeah like okay. Health, yes. <laughs> <laughs> not good Health. Not, no. not healthy. <laughs> Just Elf. <laughs> Just Elf. <laughs> Well, I'm afraid Calvin Sol won that six nil. <laughs> yeah, oof. I, I couldn't get my head around those. Uh, uh, so thank you for playing. It's a bit Christmas, too much Christmas rockbusters. Thanks, Alan. I I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, it was good fun. <laughs> good Christmas fun. <laughs> so yeah, what's what's on the Christmas schedule? What's going on? Turkey, crackers, ham. Well, yeah, I mean, same thing as <laughs> same thing as every year, but drastically stripped than usual. Stripped down, I think. Yeah, looks like I'm going to be a shoe the family get together this year because we can't really all get together, so it's not worth the hassle. Oh no, I'm going to stay at home on my own. Isn't that what you do every year anyway? <laughs> I'm going to go up when all this is settled down. It'll be over by Christmas, guys. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it'll be much the same like on the actual day for me I think uh, but it's just the sort of surrounding Christmas sort of stuff of you know meeting up with people and uh, 
I'll tell you what my my plan is. I um discovered earlier this year that I really like Amaretto Sours, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw the diet I'm on out the window for a week and just get smashed on Amaretto Sours. I'm going to figure out how to make them and just drink Amaretto Sours for a week, so I'm looking forward to that. Sounds like a good plan, <laughs> I think. Mm. Happy Christmas. Yep, happy Christmas. Yeah. Crazy Kwanzaa. Bar humbug. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it.